Hello everyone. Welcome to the ASQ blog podcast. The ASQ blog is a student-run community of scholars who enjoy reading articles from the Administrative Science Quarterly. I'm your host Yusaku Takeda, a fourth-year PhD candidate at Harvard Business School. I'm also a co-organizer for the ASQ blog. And I'm Gabriel Sala, a fourth-year PhD candidate at Boston College Carroll School of Management. Today we're joined by Michael Pratt, O'Connor Family Professor at Boston College Carroll School of Management, to talk about his recent ASQ article, "The Hidden Side of Trust: Supporting and Sustaining Leaps of Faith Among Firefighters," co-authored with Doug Lepisto and Eric Dane. Mike is also an associate editor of ASQ. And is well known for his contribution to qualitative methods in the field of management. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Welcome, my pleasure. So, in this paper, you try to further our understanding of interpersonal trust by investigating how firefighters can form and maintain trust through leaps of faith. That is, when they don't have a lot of direct experience at work to base their judgment on. So, let's first start with the background of this study because firefighters. Is a rather unique research context to study as an organizational scholar. Can you tell us how you came up with the idea of studying them? What was the initial puzzle, and how it developed over time? Sure. So、uh, this is actually probably one of the longest-running papers I've ever worked on in my entire life. Interesting. It started out. I mean, if you want the whole story, it started out post 9/11 when I was back at University of Illinois, and engineers, a bunch of engineers, needed. Social scientists broadly defined on their grant in order to get money. So <laughs> I get this call out of the blue saying, "Hey, can you want to you know, can you work with us?" And I said, "Hey, I'll give it a shot." And what they were doing is looking at how police officers, firefighters, and you know emergency response people work together.、Mm-hmm. I became particularly interested in the firefighters because around the same time, I was working with Eric Dane on work on intuition, and there was some a little bit of work out there by Klein that that said that.、Uh, Firefighters should be able, are, are good examples of people who use intuition. So we decided, well, let's check it out because we had a theory paper and wanted to do something empirical. So came up with a design for a study, talked to them, and it became became apparent pretty soon. This is really not a good question for them. So <laughs>、um, maybe they make intuitive decision making, but、uh, part of the problem was they, they don't fight fires very often,、um, and they don't make a lot of decisions on their own because. You know they have a they have a chain of command and that pretty much tells them what to do. So it became so we knew we had to pivot our research question.、Mm-hmm. Uh, what we, was interesting at the time is they talked about all these different kinds of firefighters. There were firefighters with heart, firefighters there for the paycheck. There were terms they used I'm not allowed to use in a polite audience, <laughs> so we'll just say、uh, paycheck people,、uh, city workers, and slugs. Those are the <laughs> nicest of the three.、Um, And I had also been doing some research in meaningful work. I said, "This is an interesting meaningful work. It's usually about how I see my work is meaningful, not how others categorize me in terms of how I see my work."、Yeah. So、um, started thinking about that idea. But the other thing is, if you do、uh, qualitative research, you really want to figure out what's the core problem that your audience is facing. And clearly, like I said, it was not intuitive decision making.、Mm-hmm. The problem they were facing was the issue of trust, and How do I trust somebody with my life in a fire? What makes this a little bit more interesting is that since there's not many fires, less than five percent of calls in North America are, are fire related,、mm-hmm. um, and people work on shifts. So you, you may not work 
on a fire for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, that means you don't get direct experience with fighting fires. Mm-hmm. I also don't get direct experience seeing my fellow firefighters. So I don't ever have ex- direct experience, or I rarely have a direct experience, and I may not get direct experience until I'm at a fire. So that was it. That's, that is it. How do they overcome that? And that's kind of how we shifted to looking at the role of faith and trust. You're also collaborating with uh, two of your former students. Uh, how was it like uh, to be working with your former students uh, who are also uh, geographically far apart? So to clarify, um, they weren't necessarily doctoral students when we started. So another interesting thing about this paper is that I started with I started the project with Eric Dane when we were in Illinois, and we did research there. He collected data. He collected a lot of the data. Um, he also collected all the survey data mm-hmm. in our in our study. Interesting. Uh, this was a purely this is a very inductive study. So, like I said, we shifted research questions. Remember, I said there were people, different kind of firefighters. Mm-hmm. We wanted it. To, we did the we did the survey of California firefighters to see were, were certain kinds of firefighters trusted more often than others. We found out they were people with heart were trusted more often. We didn't really understand why that was the case. We just knew that that we had a relationship and a survey, but not a reason why. Mm-hmm. So when I got to when I moved to Boston, um, Eric had graduated, and at some point I said, you know, it'd be really interesting to pick this study up and see what is actually happening. So I won't say where we did the study. Let's just say some New England place <laughs> where we decided to start study firefighters once again. Um, really getting more at this issue of how firefighters saw each other and then how it really did trust. Um, and over time, and the process took long enough, by the time we were done, Doug was also graduated. He was, uh, you know, on his way towards tenure as well. So uh, it was, it has been a long journey. Uh, it was fun collaborating with, with uh, doctoral students slash former doctoral students. Uh, I think part of the thing that helps is that you have a really a shared background about what's important, how to work together. Um, but the other thing is they're both very different. They mm. both think very differently. Mm-hmm. And so it was a lot of, it was probably one of the most fun papers I ever had with people just throwing out ideas. Mm-hmm. We would call on a phone, have a three-way call. Um, and we would spend, we could spend like an hour just talking about ideas for the paper. Uh, each one of us has commented that uh, we kind of miss it now that we, we were, we've been working on the paper for a while. So, um, but it, but it, it went really well. Right. Interesting. How did you, you do should the, interview them though and ask them what they thought. <laughs> How did you do the analysis part? Did you like uh, kind of divide the different, like divided the labors, or uh, you know split them into different uh, analysis stages, or did you guys do all of them together? Like how did you how did you divide that? Wasn't quite that neat. Um, I think Eric and I did passes of the firefighter data in in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Doug did the first pass of. The firefighter data here in in yeah. this area, mm-hmm. whatever place we studied it, and um, but because it was his, we, he decided he would do part of this for his third year paper. So they said, let's make that independent and do that on your own. Right. Eventually, though, we had to we had to bring everything together. And at that point, at that point, we started doing some joint analyses, um, and then I kind of took the lead in making sure the different moving parts started to fit together. Interesting. Nice. All right, let's talk a little bit about the fit between the research question and the method. So we often hear that qualitative methods are best suited for research in underdeveloped areas where prior work is relatively thin or where the phenomenon itself is not well understood. 
But as you discuss in your paper, the literature on trust in which your paper is rooted is well established in the field. So we were wondering, why did you choose this approach? Was it a problem during the review process? And if so, what would you say to the people who might be skeptical of the value of this approach? All right. So that's a lot of questions there. So the first one is, um, why did we take this approach? Um, I'll be honest with you, I didn't really want to dial, delve into the trust literature. It's a, <laughs> it, it, uh, it, the paper draws upon, you talked about, it, it, is, it, it is a study at some level of interpersonal trust, but it also draws upon broader sociological dynamics, more institutional trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was a lot to dive into, not just one literature, but two literatures. But it's one of these things where I, you know, I think we all decided literature, this was the problem they were facing, and they, called, they talked about it as trust. And so we didn't feel we had a lot of choice but to do the trust route. Mm-hmm. Um, this did uh, cause some problems. First, uh, just a, a funny story or, or funny in retrospect story. We <laughs> submitted this to uh, the Academy of Management Conference. And one of the reviewers said, uh, they rejected the paper, they said, because this is the trust literature. We already know about trust. So therefore, you can't do any qualitative research in it. Um, and so I kind of used that. It was, a, it was a good motivator for me to kind of push, push <laughs> forward ahead. Uh, I think what we tend to not understand is that there's uh, something like trust, which is so universal and so important to how society runs. Uh, it, it is such a complex concept that even though we have a lot of research on it, there's still a lot of places that we just don't know anything about. Hmm. And that didn't actually come for, you know clear to us until we started reading literature and realizing that there's this whole issue that most Especially going back to Simmel, trust has always been conceptualized as this combination of weak knowledge and a leap of faith. Mm-hmm. And we found a ton of stuff on the weak inductive knowledge part, mm-hmm. you know, trustworthiness, benevolence, competency, all that kind of stuff, but hardly anything on leaps of faith. And so even in a really well-established literature, there was a what I would consider a pretty gaping hole in our knowledge. Mm-hmm. So if trust really is about these two things, and we only know about part of it, then we need to, I think we need to go back to, we need to really do a more inductive study to figure out what this other part was. Hmm. Uh, but it was a little bit of a, you, you had to obviously sell this uh, to reviewers, like, like you're doing any paper. Uh, I was really pleased with the reviewers that we had. They were clearly, I wish to be clear, it seemed to us, at least, at least two of them are well-established in the micro-trust literature, which is very experimental. Mm-hmm. But I was happy that at least one of them, and maybe at the end of the day, both of them, gave us the benefit of the doubt to at least say, we're willing, to, we're willing to hear you out, even though they were skeptical. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it, it worked out. Hmm. Okay, so another question is, uh, so this was a really, really long project, as you said. Uh, and this can be a really risky uh, kind of endeavor to take up on, especially for a junior faculty members or, you know, PhD students like us. Uh, so do you have any tips on that? Like, how do you manage a long project like this? Yeah. So first thing is that fortunately not every project is this long. So when I, every time I gave this talk, I, I told them qualitative papers do not need to take this many years to finish. So we'll start with that. But, but I think more generally, when you're doing inductive research, um, I think inductive research takes time. I think all good research takes time. And so if you're going to be in projects like this, it really helps to have, um, to be very organized in terms of having different projects in play. When I was in uh, going out for tenure, I was, I'm going to give you an example, I was in the middle of a six-year study. And I, we needed this, I decided, I had to make a decision at that point. Do I stop data collection there? Or not stop it, but essentially just take the first year of data and publish that 
or do I essentially wait and maybe potentially get a better paper um, and wait the six years? And at the end of the day, I had enough other things going that I didn't feel like I had to. So number one, so I think the part of it is being very, very organized. So you can't see this because it's a blog, but so on my on my whiteboard or on my idea wall, I have where every project that I'm working on, what state it's in, who on whose desk it is. And that's another thing. I also work, it also helps to work with co-authors. So, you know, out here, this was Doug and Eric. So I didn't have it on my desk all the time. So while it was on their desk, I'm working on another project, moving that project forward. So uh, I think the, the arts, whether you're doing qualitative research or I think are just high quality research, which again, I think takes a lot of time. The, the key really is to keep a variety of things in, in play, to be very organized about, uh, I'm very upfront with my co-authors. Here's the time I can work on this paper. Here's the time when I can't. Um, a lot of very proactive management of co-authors and, um, and try to have things at various phases where I'm collecting data for a project, analyzing data for another project, writing things up. And then I threw, you know, I have theory papers throughout there too. And theory papers are nice because by definition, they don't need data. So <laughs> Nice. Thank you. You've also done some observations for this paper. Um, so can you talk a little bit about uh, how it was like to go into the field uh, with the firefighters? Um, was there anything striking or um, was there any temptation from you uh, or your co-authors to go native? Firefighters are awesome people to hang out with. I just want to oh, that's say, interesting. I'll, I'll start that. There's a lot of fun. It's a very community-oriented group. Uh, it's a little difficult for people with PhDs to go in to study firefighters because right. if you learn in the paper, they don't trust people with that are overly educated, you know, highly book smart. Okay. Um, one of my co-authors, and I have a 50-50 shot at figuring out who it was, um, <laughs> was hanging out with them and went to, to get a, a paper towel and couldn't get the paper towel thing to work and they just <laughs> laughed as he was like yep another book smart you guys don't know <laughs> um, but the observation is really important because I think they wouldn't have trusted us otherwise if, when we started in the when we first started asking about trust it was like we trust everybody once you started hanging out with them for a while it's like yeah we trust everybody but maybe to a little bit different degree mm -hmm. and it took really hanging out with them at the fire station for a while for them to really kind of open up and say kind of here's, here's how we look at them uh, so uh, so it was, it, was a, it was a critical part. I'm not sure I was ever tempted to become a firefighter. I mean, there was, there's certainly some cool parts of firefighting. Um, the the, the you know, fire truck is pretty cool. I'm a little old probably for their, their demographic at this point. Uh, I'm not sure Doug ever wanted to be a firefighter or Eric, but um, I did, it did make me appreciate what they do. It made me appreciate uh, how difficult it is to be in an occupation that spends a lot of its time not doing what they would really want to do, uh, which is fighting fires. Right. It, was there any surprising finding from the field that might not be necessarily directly related to the paper, but you know something that you took home and then thought about it? Absolutely. At a very basic level, I think it made uh, Doug and Eric and I think more about how faith and religion works. And you know, it's kind of surprising to think about firefighters, at least as an occupation, may have something in common with religious organizations in terms of how they keep faith alive. I was also surprised that firefighters do so little actual firefighting. It made me think of other professions or occupations where people may not be doing what the public or what clients think that they do. In fact, since Eric, Heather Vaux, and Teresa Carter were all doctoral students at the time, 
I asked them to add some questions to the research they were doing with lawyers, architects, and nurse practitioners, respectively, about what these occupational members thought about what clients, customers, or the public actually knew about their jobs. And this, like, is nothing, I mean, it's funny, this paper inspired that, but there's nothing in this paper about it, but those questions that were inspired by the firefighters became a separate project, um, again, even though the original insight was here. Similarly, there were ideas about why people work, the whole thing about, you know, firefighters with heart and stuff, um, which is typified in the firefighter types, and that really, quite honestly, launched me into an entirely new research stream on meaningful work. However, this paper, you know, ended up not really about meaningful work at all. So there's actually quite a few findings from this study that worked out in other projects and other research streams. And can you talk a little bit about how you exited the field? So if you like those people, did you keep in touch with some of them? Not a whole lot. Certainly the people are from Illinois, not really at all. Um, I tried to a little bit after we were gone. Um, here, every once in a while, probably up until maybe a year or so ago, I... I would pop, I, I had popped in and said hi to the fire chief. The fire chief then, then got promoted. And so, you know, things change. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the, the, the firehouse that we were, you know, they, they built a new firehouse. So a lot of, a lot of changes that had happened. Uh, so I don't keep in contact with anymore, but I, it wasn't like we, we were done with it. We just said, see you goodbye. Um, we did, we did try to exit a little bit more slowly than that. Mm. All right. And I would credit like Doug was really good with that. I think we're even better than I was because he, uh, he did a really nice job kind of keeping in contact with people. Mm. Okay. So let's now discuss the findings and the contributions of your paper. So your main contribution is your model that shows how individuals can create a system to deal with uncertainty and lack of direct experience in the work and still trust each other when performing the task. So in this case, fighting fires. How did this finding take shape? Through a ton of trial and error. Um, I think... The findings, I think, took shape in a, in a couple of different ways. One, as I said, reading about it, you know, reading a lot in literature. I also presented this in more places, I think, than I had presented any oh, paper. Yeah. And I think it was really helpful to kind of take this paper on the road to tell people to bounce ideas off, see what was, see what worked with people, what didn't work for people. Um, and so it was one of these, you know, there's three authors on the paper, but a bunch of people have contributed actually to the to the to the final final paper. Um, and I'm not really sure when it clicked, but I think somehow between the first and second, I know somewhere between the, the after the first, we got our first revision back, our first decision letter back, we decided, you know what, this is really about trust. We're going all in. Mm -hmm. um, we were at the point in the revision where we could have taken a different direction. We were getting some pushback on a few things. And at the end of the day, I remember saying, you know, we, we looked through the data, we discussed it extensively and said, this is the story. If the reviewers don't like the story, that's fine. We'll go someplace else. But uh, it's one of those things we felt we, we, I don't know, had a faith. We had faith in the findings. <laughs> and um, and it really struck home. And I think it also, it then made me, you know, like a lot of papers that I read in some, in, in when I'm fortunate, papers that I work on, help me think about things differently. And so it also made sense for me about how we take leaps of faith all the time and how they're, and how they're supported by certain, you know, by broader belief systems. Um, I also wanted to ask about the generalizability, or some may say transferability, uh, of this research to other contexts. You know, um, as it's often the case in uh, qualitative research, uh, that the context we study can be quite unique or sometimes show extreme qualities. So, 
um, what was the biggest challenge in uh, convincing your audience and the reviewers that uh, that the findings can be transferred into other contexts? So taking a step back, first of all, from there are a lot of people that are overly zealous about transferability. Um, you know, I understand that. You know, I know there are people out there like that. But part of the thing about qualitative research is that it's just not strong in some things as it is in other things. So if you want generalizability, do a survey. If you want to look at causality, do a lab experiment. If you don't want to figure out the, if you really want to figure out realism and the things with a lot of specificity and a lot of richness, then do an inductive research. It's not that I think we should forget about transferability, but I do think, at least in my own opinion, and since I got a chance to talk to people on the ASQ blog, I do think sometimes we go a little bit overboard with how generalizable or transferable this is because we're asking people to talk about something the method just is actually not built to do. Certainly not statistical generalizability. It is important, but I don't think that, would, that should be the very first thing or even the most important thing to focus on. Get on with the theory building from performance and get the data right first. All right, now that's out of my system. But that said, how did we convince the editor? So the reviewers obviously asked the same thing. Um, part of it was trying to find examples of other, other organizations. And if, you know, again, part of it just made you think about, you know, how, I'm really into uh, astronomy. I have no idea if black holes exist. I have faith that they do, mm -hmm. but I have evidence, but I will never have, I hope I never have direct experience about a black <laughs> hole. Then I started thinking about, I mean, the belief in science. The science is all about, we support or not support. We don't prove or disprove. So faith is a huge part. Taking leaps of faith is a huge part of that. Then I started thinking about how do organizations run? If we think about trust has to be in a domain specific area, in complex relationships, which many of us have at work, and they're not just work relationships, we often have multiplex relationships. Well, we're not gonna have direct experience in everything. Yeah, we'll have to trust people then. Mm -hmm. I'm trusting my CEO was not embezzling. I may never have a direct experience one way or the other about their financial habits, mm -hmm. but I have to take a leap of faith. Right. And so um, just start helping to convince or helping to show the re reviewers that leaps of faith are important on all aspects of trust. So that's in that sense, anytime there's trust, Leap of faith would be a part of it. Right. Will it be this extreme? Probably not. I think the biggest difference here is that most times we think about a leap of faith, it's, a, it's something pretty short term. So I, I you know, I'm, I'm hiring somebody from my university. Uh, you're from Harvard. I think, oh, Harvard's a pretty good place. I know some people you work with. I take, you know, I have you out, I have you out for an interview because I take a leap of faith that you're well trained because of other things beyond you. It's kind of impersonal. Right. Right. Well, the nice thing about it is that eventually I'll get to know who you are and direct experience can take over. So most times leaps of faith are pretty ephemeral. The nice thing about firefighting is that because faith needs to be maintained, I think it shows pretty starkly how these things come about. And because it has a longer shelf life, we can study it. So again, that's a kind of long answer to your question. But part of it, I think, is that for a qualitative paper, what's important is how do we create theory which is applicable to other places? I think there's some naturalistic general, generalizability to be sure. That is, how does a context and dynamics we're studying are like those in similar organizations. There are probably other high-risk organizations you can apply this to, but more fundamentally, I think that we can take good theories and apply them broadly. And finally, how do you think your findings can be used by practitioners uh, in high-risk organizations or other contexts? I think how it could be used, uh, it, I think one way, the important way is, uh, especially for something like firefighting or other areas that where direct experience is not, doesn't play, they don't get updated information a lot. Mm -hmm. 
I think a big finding of this study is that you may have things in place that reduce uncertainty, which allow you to do your job, but those very same things may block things like innovation in the adoption of technology. So the things that kind of make your job doable also may hurt making your being able to do your job better. And so I think if I was a practitioner in a high-risk organization, I want to take a look at where do we take leaps of faith and then what do we have what supports that? Okay. Well, how do we, how do people, how do we get there? And then what an organization, maybe do we need to look at again? Um, and maybe, you know, maybe we want to rethink some of these, these things. Maybe we want to make our system a little bit more open. That's good. Well, thank you, Mike, for your time and your great insights. Thanks. Thank you. My pleasure. That was Professor Mike Pratt from Boston College on his recent paper, The Hidden Side of Trust, Supporting and Sustaining Leaps of Faith Among Firefighters with Doug Lupesto and Eric Dane. The ASQ blog is a student-run community of scholars who enjoy reading articles from the Administrative Science Quarterly. If you're interested in writing or interviewing for the ASQ blog, please contact us at asqblog at gmail.com.